At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. An unmarked delivery truck turns right and into a nondescript parking garage. Heading up one ramp after another, it finally makes it stop on the unoccupied roof. There, the truck idles, waiting for the buyer to show up. Tearing into the area, the van of the A-Team spins and kicks up asphalt as it stops a mere 50 feet away. And then... Multiple black escalades come up on the other side of the lot as the boys stop 50 feet on the other side. Both groups eye each other from across the lot. That package is going home with one of them, and each side starts formulating a plan on how to defeat the other and bring it home. It's B.A. Baracus versus Mother's Milk. It's the Vietnam Vets versus the Vaught Vanquishers. It's the A-Team versus the boys today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from worlds of comic, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Stacanus. We have the third match in our Mainstream March series, where we bring you popular characters from the 1980s. In today's episode, we are doing something extremely rare on the Who Would Win show, a team versus team matchup. In one corner, you have the A-team. I know, it's crazy, right? In one corner, you have the A-team, the lovable outlaw mercenaries from the 1980s that, despite being armed better than most small countries, had an insanely low kill count. Versus the boys, a group of ragtag badasses taking on supervillains and the ultimate supervillain of all time backing them, corporate America. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this match has been discussed. And this matchup has never wow. been discussed before. Never raised to Canis, which means, yet again, Who Would Win brings you another geek battle world premiere event. You're welcome. I love it. Ray, what are your thoughts on today's matchup? Oh, I have all kinds of great thoughts about this. You know, we knew we wanted to use a team battle at some point during this month. What team represents True. the 80s more than the A-team, for gosh sakes? 
And then it comes a matter of, well, who are they going to face? We actually went through, and, and you can testify to this, James. We went through a lot of the fan suggestions. We went through a lot of our personal suggestions. And we went through dozens and dozens of possibilities before finally, finally, you relented and let me take the boys today. I'm a big fan of the comic book property, but I'm also a big fan of the TV show, and I'm ready for season three. You know, it's funny. The TV show is phenomenal. The comic book series is insanely phenomenal. Everything's great. And I'm loving today's show. But Ray, I got I to shift for a second. I, I've got something I got to get off my chest. Something's mm. been bothering me for quite some time. And I just want to bring this to light on the show okay. if you wouldn't mind. Okay, here's the deal. Look, I, we've talked about this before, Ray. I usually really love watching the Oscars. But in recent years, you got to admit this, kind of like many millions of other people, I've started to lose interest in the show. Oh, do, you, sure. do you kind of feel me on this? I do. I, I've okay. had a problem with the Oscars ever since they opened up Best Picture to 97 films. And it just doesn't have the same luster as it used to. It, it doesn't. And by the way, Ray, I really wish it did because yeah. it was such a great event growing up. You know, everyone loved the Oscars and seeing the actors. Anyway, I decided to break the internet again by making one of my uh, patented question of the day I social media that. posts. Yeah, it, it was super simple, right? I asked, why didn't Spider-Man No Way Home get an Oscar nomination for Best Picture? I just wanted to hear what people had to say. So, Ray, let me ask you, why don't you think Spider-Man No Way Home, or in my opinion, something like even better, maybe a, a Shang-Chi, get nominated for Best Picture? I mean, I don't know if I would have put Shang-Chi on that same pillar, but I would say Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, definitely my favorite superhero movie that I've seen since uh, Endgame. That's for sure. I think that the superhero movies in MCU in general just get disrespected. Look, Black Black Panther was up for Best Picture, and correctly. I think it would have been a real awesome thing if Black Panther would have won Best Picture that year and actually like legitimized the whole media of MCU superhero movies. Regrettably, it did not, and so we're left here with every has-been director on the planet. You know, and I, I love the work of Martin <laughs> Scorsese. Don't get me wrong; he's a brilliant director. 150 years ago, but he's out of touch if he doesn't think these Marvel movies are worth anything. It's some of the best stuff we've got on the screen today. Okay, so we're 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 on the same page for once, oddly enough, I can't right? Believe so it myself. I put up this post. I know it's crazy. And I and I got some really interesting answers, but the most interesting answer that I got for why Spider-Man No Way Home, you know, didn't get nominated for Best Oscar was that the Academy, and this I got this a lot, by the way, that the Academy only recognizes films that are artistic in nature that truly represent and push the boundaries of the art form known oh, as filmmaking. Gosh, and I got that answer a lot. I even got one person saying, how dare you even ask this question, which was really cool. That's outrageous. Um, you know, I... It, yeah, and all this is interesting, right? We just said it. Spider-Man Spider No Way Home, I kind of thought it did push the boundaries. It totally but did. But I guess I was wrong. I Right. So so follow me on this. I decided to educate myself more on Oscar-nominated films, and I looked up last year's winner. Ray, you remember who that was? Was that uh, the one about the, the guy in the car? Yeah, no one remembers it either, Ray. Like, I, no one can, I I've was asked really a bunch hoping of people, I'd just like, get that uh, right by I, accident. Yeah, exactly. It was a good guess, by the way. So no one else remembers it last year. Let me educate you. It was Nomadland, right? That was starring oh. Frances McDormand. She also won Best Actor for that movie. And Nomadland was seen by dozens of people around the world, with some of those people even enjoying it. So it was a movie. Yeah, I've never heard of that movie. Okay, okay. So just bear with me, Ray. I watched it to try to understand where this artistic notion was coming from, why it was Oscar-worthy in the whole thing. And I started watching it, and I got to perhaps the most artistic scene that I'm sure was the reason why this movie okay. won an Oscar for Best Picture. Let's hear it. It was the iconic scene where Francis McDormand's character was suffering from diarrhea, 
Oh. And she then pooped in a bucket. Man. I went to art school. I thought I knew what happened for film. What was artistic? Did I miss the class on bucket pooping? Is that a thing? Wow. Now, I will say right now, you know, you call it Oscar worthy. I call it Thursday. By the way, the director, do you remember who the director was? Of course not. Chloe Zhao, who won an Oscar for that. She went on to another film after this. Speaking of like Marvel movies not having an artistic bent, guess what the movie she did after uh, oh, Nomadland? Oh, I know. The Eternals. I was going to say, yeah, I just watched that. <laughs> Do you see where I'm going with this, Ray? Doesn't like, make how, sense. How could this movie you not be considered? And, here, for, like, and here's the problem: had she had Kumail Nanjiani's character poop in a bucket, Eternals wins Best Picture. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I think you're right. Look, Oscars, the Academy, whomever you are, you want to get viewers back. You want to make Oscars the meaningful event. You know that that millions of possibly billions of people want to see once more. Just stop nominating films where people are pooping in buckets and bring in movies, I don't know, that people care about and that have actually seen. You know, you kind of did it with Black Panther and you can do it again. All I'm saying is do better Oscars. Just freaking do better. My rant's over, by the way. I'm going to say right now, if Morbius isn't up for best picture next year, I am boycotting these Oscars. Don't go, Ray. Don't go. You know how you get that invite every year? Don't go this year. I'm not going this time. Stay home. I'm not going. I'm staying home. Stay home. Thank you. All right. Now, speaking of doing better, like hopefully the Oscars will, it's time to introduce one of the best shows we've ever had on the Who Would Win show. Making their second appearance on the Who Would Win show is the world's premier digital expert. It's the chief executive officer of Wormhole Labs, an executive producer of Own Every Word, a new comedy show incorporating NFTs. It's Phil Ranta. Phil, welcome back to Who Would Win. Hello. I've just got done pooping in a bucket, and now I'm all revved and ready to go. (laughs) I'm sure the Oscar's on its way. Now, Phil, you've got a big background in comedy, clearly, and you're the uh, CEO of Wormhole Labs, and now you've got this great new comedy show incorporating NFTs called Own Every Word. I'm not really sure where to start. Can you explain some of these things to our fan base, the Legion of Audience? Yeah, absolutely. I was a comedian by night for many years and a tech nerd by day. So both careers kind of advanced. At the tech nerd side, I run Wormhole Labs, which is a metaverse technology company. We do virtual open housing. Um, We also do white label solutions for companies that are looking to get into user-generated metaverses or avatar-based worlds that are generated on top of the real world using location-based services. Very, very deeply nerdy. I think it's fun and cool. On the complete other side of it, uh, I've been really into NFTs, and we did a comedy show called Own Every Word, which is a funny take on a word of the day calendar where we are making every single word in the English language into an NFT, um, writing a funny definition for it, doing funny pronunciations. And I have to say, one of the best voiceover artists we have on the show is our very own Race Decanus, who was on season two of Own Every Word and created quite a fervor. And yeah, it's been a really fun project. We've got game shows happening on the... the 23rd is the next game show we have where people are incorporating their pieces. So you can go to ownevryword.com and get your own word. Very cool. Legion of audience. You've heard it. Go to that website, become part of the audience there. Check it out. Listen to race to Canis and all his greatness. I'm actually saying it for real. This sounds fantastic, by the way. All right, Phil Ranta, we had you on last time. You were fantastic. We got another crazy episode for you. Uh, I think your knowledge of the 80s is pretty, you know, outstanding from what I can tell. Ray and I kind of are going nuts with this. We love the 80s, and we're just trying to bring the best show possible to our Legion of Audience. With all that said, it's about that time. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing 80s action television, the group who excels at rescuing their own members, but they were probably just saving face. 
the A-Team. And representing Amazon Prime, the group that heroically separated themselves from Voight Media and now are thriving, the boys. Right, right. isn't it pronounced Vought? I know what I said, James Gavsey. Okay, uh, well done, Ray. Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a who would win match. Now, rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the who would win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Okay, Ray, you got really two versions of this that I can tell. You've got the live action, and then you've got the comic book, although you may have a little bit of an anime thing that's tied into live action. What version of the boys will we be using today? I appreciate you you giving me that rope, but we did talk in the boardroom that this matchup only makes sense if I use the TV version of the boys because uh, they don't have access to Compound V, at least not through two seasons, whereas the comic book version does, and that, that's just not, not a fair matchup. And I'm all about fair play and good work. That's why I will be using the, the TV show team of Billy Butcher, Huey, Mother's Milk, and Frenchie. I will not be using Kimiko, the super-powered uh, character that they roll with. Very good. Okay, there's actually a couple of versions of the A-Team, believe it or not. There's the live-action 80s version, and there's also a comic book version, which I can't tell if it's tied in or not to the TV version canon. So I'm just going to stick with the TV live-action version. No comic book references whatsoever. I'm sure our audience can get behind that. Now, rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but would be given less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whoever the judge decides has the best case for defeating their opponent by death submission or battlefield removal and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes rule number six the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic and before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store to get your very own Who Would Win merchandise and accessories go to the Who Would Win Facebook page to get your hands on some Who Would Win merch by the way it's time to celebrate the Who Would Win Patron of the Week. Every week we choose one of our amazing members of the Who Would Win Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today's featured patron of the week is the one and only, the youngster, Gabe Ingrata. Gabe is who you're picking? The genius? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. To be a wow. tough one. Wow, okay. That is a tough one. So with Gabe, I'm going to have him go up against Thanos with all of the Infinity Stones. Okay, well, Thanos obviously has zero chance here against Gabe Ingrata because, as we all know, Gabe is a super genius. Uh, He's also a master of electricity and a master of martial arts. I think all of this is just well-known in the backstory of Mr. Gabe Ingrata. And so Thanos goes for the snap, and everybody around him is going to start disappearing, turning to dust and going away, and then Gabe is going to start turning to dust, and then he's going to snap his own fingers, and then he's going to reform himself. And Thanos can look at him like, I snapped. I have all five Infinity Stones. You have to go away. And Gabe just looks right at him and goes, Not today, sucker. And then he crushes his head and he pops his head like a purple grape, just like Thanos' head kind of looks like a purple grape. He takes the gauntlet for himself, restores the universe, 
Too easy. Gabe Ingrata takes down Thanos with the glove. Not only does that make complete sense, but I'd like to option the rights for that for a movie. It'd be amazing. Gabe, uh, have your people contact my people if you wouldn't mind. That was fantastic. Well done, Ray. Now, remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash show and sign up, and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Need to supercharge your hiring? You need a super hiring partner. You need Indeed. I've been a fan of Indeed.com for a long time and been singing their praises for even longer. You know, one of the things I love about Indeed is that not only can you find a great job on Indeed.com, start there, great place to look, but if you're hiring, you can invite candidates, right? Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply for your job than candidates who just kind of see it in a random search. That's according to US Indeed data. It's like you invite somebody and they feel welcome to your party, right? They're more likely to want to work for you or at least check out what this job's all about. And we'll get you one step closer to that hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates with Indeed. Indeed's gonna do the hard work for you. It shows you the candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your description immediately after you post. You're going to find the people. They're going to put them right in front of you so you can hire even faster. And these are quality candidates. These are people who already meet your minimum expectations right off the top at the beginning. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WWW. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WWW. Indeed.com slash WWW. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force, and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to 200 in fee-free overdraft with the Chime checking account. Sign up today at Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. And now let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for The Boys. The Boys is a group of misfits who work together to keep corrupt superheroes in check. They were originally created in comics by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson and first appeared in 2006. 
The TV version airs streaming on Amazon Prime, and that debuted in 2019, as I'll be using today. The Boys tells the story of a world where superheroes are not only real, but corporately managed and also pretty much above the law. They do basically whatever they want, with little the public can do in response, no matter how much damage they cause. Enter Billy Butcher, Huey, Frenchie, and Mother's Milk, a ragtag group we know as The Boys, that aims to bring the superheroes to justice, each one for their own personal reasons. Fun fact, back in the mid-2000s, The Boys writer Garth Ennis and artist Derek Robertson found their inspiration for the character of Huey in a mostly unknown British actor named Simon Pegg. So when the boys first debuted in comics, Huey was the spitting image of Peg, who they'd just seen on some BBC TV show at the time. Of course, the idea of the now pretty famous Simon Pegg playing Huey on the show made all kinds of sense, except it was now a decade and a half later, and Peg was too old to play that character. So on the TV show, they throw a little bone to longtime fans by casting Simon Pegg as Huey's father, Hugh in four episodes. So there you go. That is The Boys. I love The Boys, by the way. It's a great I, show. I mean, seriously, the comic book is great. Not for kids, as is Definitely the TV not. show, not for kids. But wow, really, really good. All right, well done, Ray. Here are the important details for The A-Team. The A-Team was created by Stephen J. Cannell and Frank Lupo and first appeared in the pilot episode of The A-Team television series back in 1983. The A-Team is an American action-adventure television series that ran on NBC from 1983 to 1987 about former members of a fictitious United States Army Special Forces unit. The four members of the team were tried by court-martial for a crime they had not committed. Convicted and sentenced to serve terms in a military prison, the A-Team escaped to the Los Angeles underground and began working as soldiers of fortune, while still trying to clear the names and avoid capture by law enforcement and military authorities. The A-Team revolves around the four main members of a former commando outfit churned mercenaries. They are Lieutenant Colonel John Hannibal Smith, Lieutenant Templeton Peck, a.k.a. Face, the team's pilot Captain H.M. Halliman Murdoch, and the team's powerhouse mechanic and Sergeant First Class Bosco B.A. or Bad Attitude Baracus, played by the, the iconic Mr. T. The four of them would help all those in need in order to take down crime bosses, overthrow armies, and defend those who could not defend themselves. And here's an interesting fact about the A-Team. Did you know that Mr. T did not like the 2010 A-Team film remake? It's true. The original BA had this to say about the 2010 big screen adaptation of the series starring Liam Neeson and Bradley Cooper. People die in the film. And there's plenty of sex, but when we did it, no one got hurt and it was all played for fun and family entertainment. There's These seem to be elements nobody is interested in anymore. It was too graphic for me. I have no doubt it will do big business at the box office, but it's nothing like the show we churned out every week. We ran, we ran on TV for five years without having to sex up the show. You can't get away with that these days. Now, what's interesting is that Mr. T may have had a point because the A-Team movie turned out to be a huge box office bomb. There was actually yeah. supposed to be a sequel, but because the box office was so low, the sequel got scrapped completely. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Phil, do you have any questions before we get started? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got a quick question about the A-Team. The A-Team is uh, as known as being uh, vehicular, both in helicopters and in vans. Are these something that will be considered as part of this fight, or is it in a neutral zone with no vehicles? You know, I did not include helicopters, and without giving away too much, I did include the van, only because I call this the race to Canis rule. The van was often sold with the action figures of members of the A-Team. 
And I actually have no problem sense. with using the van. I consider the van an essential part of the A-team. So I'm actually completely on board with this, for I am magnanimous. And the boys are often seen uh, with alcohol. Will alcohol be played into your version of the boys? Boy, I hope not, because I need them at their fighting best to handle a team like the A-team. No further questions! Wow, that is commanding. Like that, that, is, that is a presence right there. Ray... Let's get this party started. Hit us with your point number one. Point number one for TV's The Boys. Now, I just want to talk about the basics of who these four fellows are. My understanding is that the A-Team fought in Vietnam, so that way they're decorated green berets. I believe, James, you'll probably get into that a little bit on your points, not to steal too much of your thunder. But most members of The Boys also come from their own either underground or military background as well, and I want to get into that because it is important to know that uh, the A-Team is the only group of military people out here. Starting with Huey. Now, Huey is just a regular guy. He's the nice guy. He's the kind of the vessel that you're going to experience this crazy world through. He is the everyman on the show. But he is shockingly competent and shockingly tough when it comes down to battle situations. Lest we forget that he's the one that actually pulled the trigger to kill Translucent, who is a superhero member of the Seven, which is sort of like the Justice League of the boys' world. He was able to, he was the one who actually had the nerve to pull the trigger on that. So he's not afraid to do what needs to be done in order to win. And he's also untrained enough in these situations that he could often see angles that other people don't see because they're so wrapped up in sort of what they know. He's the one in the earlier battle with Translucent who pulled the wire that was connected to a TV out of the wall so they could electrocute him. So he could always, you know, think about angles that maybe other people don't see and come from a different perspective. You've got Marvin T. Mother's Milk, who is their big planner. I know we're not going to be doing a lot of planning in this one, but he's also a medic. And I don't know if there's any medics on the A-team, but if somebody does get hurt, a mother's milk is a medic and can actually heal them up. He was a former Marine medic, which means that he's got Marine training, very, very important. And his father died and it was an attorney going after the seven. So that's his reason for hating superheroes. Talking about Frenchie next. Frenchie is an arms dealer. So one thing that the uh, boys never are lacking in, and that's state-of-the-art weapons, explosives, armor, technology, whatever they need, Frenchie can supply. He's, again, munitions, and he himself is seeking redemption for his own shadowy past. He's the one who supplied them with C4. He's the one that supplies them with all manner of firearms, and I believe he might get some vehicles for them as well. Maybe I'm making that up, but he's the guy they go to when they need stuff. And then finally, of course, Billy Butcher himself, played brilliantly by Carl Urban. He's crushing it. Well, he's a former SAS operator, and that is, uh, I don't actually have written down here what that means, but it is the secret armed services of Britain. Is that right? Something like that. Essentially, this is the best of the best of the paratroopers and some of the, uh, the elite thing. You don't get to just sign up for the SAS. They'll come and get you if they think you're great, and they run through a grueling regimen. I know that the A-team has done some stuff, but in order to get into the SAS, you have to do 50 sit-ups in two minutes, 60 press-ups in two minutes. Then you have an eight-mile march with 25 pounds of gear on you in two hours. And then they escalate that over the course of months to finally you have a 40-mile trek up and down a mountain you have to complete in 20 hours. That's literally over an entire day. And the last thing I'm going to say about the boys is the A-team. 
they don't have a very high body count. I think that needs to be said. They don't kill a lot of people. Boy, is that not a problem on the TV show, The Boys. They kill first and ask questions later. When they're going after these superheroes, they are going for straight murder every time because the superheroes, quite frankly, are going for straight murder on them. And I lied. There was one more point. Modern warfare versus the Vietnam era. You know, in an earlier battle that we had between Captain Price from Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Sergeant Rock, who fought in World War II, it's important to understand the equipment the A-Team has is going to be Vietnam era and early 80s, whereas a lot more modern technology is going to be brought to the battle by Frenchie. And so we're going to be dealing with modern equipment, modern weapon, modern tracking. That has to be taken into account too, and that's my point number one. I mean, I, I think that was a really good point, number one, but a couple of things I've got to kind of rebut here. Now, first of all, every member of the A-team has some medical training as well in terms of being able to treat someone on the battlefield who's shot or what have you. They all have that kind of basic training as well, so they're not absolutely clueless if one of them gets hurt or what have you in this fight. Secondly, Frenchie's a great character. The only issue I have with what you brought up, Ray, is that Frenchie doesn't carry all of this marvelous up-to-date tech, explosives, and everything with him wherever they go. He typically has a base of operations or a place, at least a place where all this stuff is stored that he can access once they plan it, and then they plan their thing, and they bring he brings it with them. He's got some stuff on him at all times, a few weapons, but not this extensive amount of tech and what have you. Again, this is a random encounter in a neutral location. No time for planning in advance because no one knows this is about to happen. Let's see, and I think... That's really it. I, I don't disagree with any of it. I do think, though, you're underestimating the power of the 1980s and the war machine uh, under the Reagan era that produced the A-Team and the A-Team television series. By the way, I'm going to talk about why the A-Team doesn't have a high kill count. It has nothing to do with them being bad marksmen. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But with that being said, let me get to my point number one. Let's break down the members of the A-Team, shall we? Just like Ray did with the boys. Now, the 80s was a magical time especially for network television. You could mix almost cartoon levels of violence with wholesome family values. It was a fun time for everybody watching it. Now, the A-Team was no exception. Each individual member, as Ray kind of said of the A-Team, were Green Berets. But on top of that, they were expert fighters and combatants. I'm talking expert beyond expert. They were firearms experts, expert marksmen, explosive experts, demolition experts. On top of that, they each had their specialties. So leading the way, you've got the leader who is Colonel John Hannibal Smith. Now, the skill that Hannibal had and that was he was really famous for was for his strategic planning and tactical ability. He kind of always had, I guess, an equally crazy and, and I guess, brilliant plan that would get um, you know the goals of the mission done and he can he could both prepare a plan in advance or do something kind of crazy and brilliant on the fly depending on what the immediate situation needed he's also a master of disguise because he's an ability to assume any role and he can convince others that his role is genuine you know I guess the way of saying this is that, you know think of Hannibal as a master of the intoxicating mind fog where if he gets you talking he can get you thinking in a different direction that will lead you astray or at least create an opening for the A-team to advantage of. By the way, here's a fun fact about uh, Hannibal. He's so tough that he survived one of Ho Chi Minh's death camps. That's the toughness he brings to the table. Now, of course, you've got uh, Face, Templeton Peck. Uh, he's a skilled grifter. He's very likable. People seem to find themselves trusting him, which is a great thing for him. He's knowledgeable and expert level on a wide variety of things. He's noted as having the ability to conjure anything from anywhere. That's part of that 1980s television network magic where, hey, we need a school bus and we're in the desert in Mexico. Face is like, I got it. Next scene, he pulls up in a school bus. Hey, I need a crop duster with armor plating. 
got it. No problem. I got a phone call. This guy, I'll have it in literally seconds. He's that guy. Does this make him a magical being of sorts? I pretty much think that's the only likely explanation for some of the stunts he pulled off in the 80s. Of course, now you've got Captain HM, which I believe stands for Howling Mad Murdoch. Now, this is the guy who everyone thinks is insane, but the reality is he's only termed insane because he pulls off such crazy maneuvers in a helicopter. I don't think he'll be using a helicopter in this battle, but that's why they think he's crazy. He's actually crazy like a fox. He's super smart. He's got a genius IQ. He can speak Mandarin, German, Japanese, Russian, Spanish, uh, Vietnamese. He's got a photographic memory, which means he can remember and recall any type of fighting technique, piling method, or calculation needed in a fight. That's pretty much it about Howling Mad Murdoch. He's also a great fighter, too. He's the guy who's going to sacrifice himself first, by the way. Just keep that in mind for our following points. Of course, now, you got everyone's favorite member of the team. That's B.A. Barak, who's played by the magical, if you will, Mr. T. Now, B.A. is a mechanical genius. That is legit. He's got a world-class level of talent for making impressive machinery out of just about any ordinary parts he can find, and he can do this on the fly. He's also the main driver of the A-Team van. He's a master of evasive maneuvers with a van, and this is absolutely true. He possesses some form of superhuman strength. It's absolutely true. Let me explain. So, Mr. P, Mr. T fits the Fast and Furious model. Ray, I don't know if you remember this. When you talked about Dom from the Fast and Furious movies and he's written as kind of like low-level superhuman, the A-Team, especially B.A. Barakas, was written the exact same way. He's an enhanced form of Mr. T, which is crazy because Mr. T is super strong. And I've got proof of that. So there's this crazy docu-series in the 80s about Mr. T that came out in animated form. And this was known simply as Mr. T. This docu-series about Mr. T where he, of course, largely rides along with the U.S. Olympic gymnastics team going from adventure to adventure. Mr. T is so strong in the series that while he's swimming, he can outmaneuver an extremely large crocodile swimming right at him by swimming under the crocodile, getting behind it, grabbing it by the tail, spinning it around several times to gain momentum, and then throw what it looked like dozens of yards away. Keep in mind that a full-grown crocodile can weigh up to 1,200 pounds, and Mr. T threw one dozens of yards away while treading wire with just his legs. Another time, a great white shark in this dock series was coming straight at Mr. T. What Mr. D2? Of course, he's swimming again, just treading water. He punches the shark in the face and knocks it out of the water to send it flying. Now, B.A. Baracus is an enhanced form of the already enhanced Mr. T. He typically would, his fighting method would be to grab some large opponent by the shirt and simply throw them what looked like at least several yards away where they would flip upside down midair and land horribly crashing down their back, being taken completely out of the fight. That's who they have on the side. Let me recap. Each member of the A-Team is an expert fighter. Green Beret has additional specialties. And on top of that, B.A. Barak is a genius with super strength. I'm just not sure the boys are ready for all of that. That's my point number one. James, what are you even talking about with that Mr. T point? That is a so just you're talking about a cartoon with that actor that has nothing to do with the A team whatsoever. Look, Carl Urban plays Billy Butcher. Does that mean that because he also played Bones in Star Trek, that Billy Butcher now has a phaser? Uh, he, he was in Thor Ragnarok as Scourge. Does that mean all of a sudden he has the the powers of of an Asgardian? James, what are you talking about right now? Obviously, Phil, that entire aspect of the point needs to be kicked to the curb immediately. But I will agree, B.A. Barakas on the actual A-Team show when James decided to talk about that. 
is a low-level superhero character with strength, but that works good for me because that would show him to be a superhero who the boys would hate and the boys would go after first and the boys would have extra reason to take out of the equation early. And when you talked about Face James, you used the phrase, he's an expert and knowledgeable on a wide variety of things. Could you use more words to say less? Is that possible? Those words mean absolutely nothing. And you brought up Hannibal, who's obviously brilliant, but he does need a plan. What's the catchphrase of the A-team? I love it when a plan comes together. There can be no planning today, not in a who would win battle. Have you seen how fast Hannibal can make a plan? By the way, does Carl Urban play Carl Urban? Like in every movie he's in, is he, is he Carl Urban in Star Trek or is he, you know, Dr. McCoy? You see where I'm going with this, Mr. Wasn't T-Pain. he also now, Judge Dredd, for gosh sakes? Look, if we're going to play this game, I can play this game. You got to connect the dots, Ray. And Mr. T is Mr. T in that docuseries. And then B.A. is based off Mr. T. All right, Phil, you've heard points one from both Ray and myself. Where is your head at so far with this battle? This is an incredibly tough one. I mean, they they all have military training. I consider the military training, you guys spent a lot of time arguing the quality of their military training. I consider that kind of a wash, right? Because they're both presented as exceptionally good. And the details of the narrative, I I care a little bit less about that. Also, I think that it's probably less fair to do the Mr. T docuseries thing. However, B.A. Baracus has so much superpower within... The actual show, I don't know if you need it, right? Because the one thing I do remember about A-Team is every time B.A. Baracus was in a fight, someone would punch him and he wouldn't move, and then he would punch them and they would fly across the room or throw them across the room. He's clearly some sort of enhanced superpower. I do take Ray's point very well that the boys are more willing to kill more quickly. The A-Team always did kind of like fun comic violence, right? I don't think they were ever put in a state where they thought they were actually going to die or if there was that that I didn't see it and maybe that would have brought that out of them. But the boys make the snap decision. Oh, I might be in a little bit of trouble. I'm going to off that person, right? So I think that I put the boys just a little bit ahead in terms of the ability to kill very, very quickly. However, I think if the A-team could keep Bay Abrakis in the game, I think that he kills those four very fast if he's willing to kill. Hmm. Phil, I love your uh, observations on this. And the only thing I'm going to say is what I'm about to reveal to you later on this episode about why the A-team has such a low kill count may shock you to your core, good sir. Oh, God. Can't wait. I don't I'll know if I want to hear this. Will it ruin the show for me? Oh, yeah. No. It's, no, no, no. It'll make it'll make the show even better. Perfect. Better than the animated docuseries Mr. T, <laughs> which, by the way, I may reference uh, further on this episode. Animated All right, Ray docuseries? Stikinas. I'm still blown away by that. Listen, they were cutting edge. They were cut- we we still haven't to this day seen a really good animated docu series, have we? They did it in the eighties. If that's how good they are, Ray, you're slightly ahead. I kind of like this position because hmm. you may get a little too common. We'll see. I'm Go suspicious. ahead and hit us though with your point number two. Really quick, I just for all the people around the world that were throwing things at their radio, it is the Special Air Service. That is what SAS stands for. Ray, you're supposed to write this stuff down if you're going to try to use it on the show. I just wanted to make sure I put that on the record uh, because I knew it was wrong when I said it. And I just, I don't want to make anybody in the Special Air Service mad because I like living. Okay, point number two for the boys. Now I want to talk about their choice of opponents. 
because anybody can just fight against humans. Look, the A-team is fighting against what corrupt individuals all throughout the Los Angeles area and I'm sure beyond. But they're at the end of the day, the A-team is just fighting other people. And they're oftentimes going to be fighting people maybe even without military training. That show went on for what, 98 episodes? They weren't fighting against the best of the best every single time. But the boys in their universe on the wonderfully streaming Amazon TV series are fighting against the greatest superheroes in the world. So you want to talk about degree of difficulty, all of these characters on the boys are still alive and they regularly go toe to toe with just straight up murderers. Homelander, for gosh sakes, Homelander is a Superman equivalent character with the eye beams and the flight and the super strength and he can just straight out murder you at a moment's notice just because he feels like it. But Billy Butcher stands to him with a baseball bat, looks him square in the eyes and says, I'm taking your kid. away from you. And Homelander backed down in that moment. Why? Because Billy Butcher is a straight up killer who could straight up take out Homelander if he wanted to. They're also pretty brilliant when they fight these superheroes. In the aforementioned translucent scene, which took place at an electronics store, Billy Butcher, who doesn't mess around, drove his car into the store to hit translucent when he was about to murder Huey, who had no idea what was going on. He rammed it, so they're not afraid to go there. And I know the A-team is as well, but I want to get ahead of that and say Billy Butcher is not afraid to. In the middle of this fight, as he's fighting Translucent, who's like Luke Cage, but invisible. He has like indestructible skin, and you can't see him. That's a tough guy to fight. What do you do? Billy Butcher, in the moment, realized, hey, I'm bleeding, and spit his own blood onto the face and body of Translucent, so now he had a target with which to hit. Because the stuff would still stick to him and you could still use it to hit. And that's absolutely brilliant to use that own thing against him. Not to mention the teamwork that they used in the combat. As I mentioned before, when Huey pulled out the cord and then Billy Butcher got him in position to give him an electric shock to knock him down. But let's not forget, they're all on a boat moving very, very fast trying to trying to get to, uh, to shore. And the Deep, who's the Aquaman equivalent character, is riding a giant whale and has all the creatures of the sea attacking them. And he puts the giant whale in front of the area where they're trying to drive into in order to get back into, you know, the land area. So what do the boys do? Do they freak out? No. Do they go around the whale? Heck no. They go faster. They ram square into that whale, smooshing it into the shore. One of the most disgusting scenes I've ever seen in television. They're not afraid to go there. They're not afraid to do what it takes, no matter how unpleasant it is, to fight against these superheroes using overwhelming force. They stuck C4 up Translucent's (laughs) underneath spot. Because his skin is indestructible, but his insides were not. Hey, let's not forget the time when I believe they were in either a lab or a hospital. And Billy Butcher picked up a superhero baby with those death eye beams and used it to just straight up murder people. He's used holding the baby, holding his head up, using the eye beams to shoot people. They can improvise on the spot and can do so with their lives on the line constantly. Heck, let's not forget Billy Butcher fought Haley Joel Osment's superhero called Mesmer, who's a character that if he touches you, he suddenly gets all your memories, and he just touched Mesmer, and Mesmer in that moment realized, I'm not coming out of this, even though I'm a superhero, and Billy Butcher hit him in the bathroom sink about five or six times and caved in his skull. Sorry, kids at home. It's an adult TV show. Caved in his skull of a superhero, despite the fact that Billy Butcher himself had no superpowers. So if you talk about degree of difficulty 
A-team's fighting regular people. The boys are fighting superheroes and still winning. And I think that's important. And that's why that's my point number two. You know, I love that point, actually. And the reason why is because I often like to play the game, how would this do there? So how would the A-team do in the world of the boys? And the answer is, I think they do better than the boys. You know why? Really? Because they're much more cohesive. One of the big weaknesses of the boys, by the way, and by the way, I love the boys. I love all the characters. They're fantastic. The writing is amazing. Everything's great about the show. But we're talking about the A-team here. The A-team, and I'll mention this more in my point number two, they are a cohesive unit. The boys are kind of tight when they need to be. But there's, you know, throughout the two seasons, we see, you know, all of a sudden, Billy Butcher Butcher does something that the two other characters don't like. Frenchie goes on his own. Mother's Milk does has to do something with his family because he's actually the, my favorite out of all of them. The point is they're nowhere near as cohesive as the A-team, and they just don't have that same synergy. Can they accomplish big things? Sure. But when it comes time together to, you know, form Voltron, like I said before, and to actually, you know, become something bigger than themselves – That's not them. They're a great group of individuals, but the A-team is a great team. With that being said, let me answer all this with my point number two. Now, let's look at the other things the A-team brings to the table in this fight. Now, I've already mentioned this. Each member of the A-team is an absolute master of improvisation. How many times have we seen them quickly had to create a device, add armor to their van, or modify something in the middle of their fight in order to get the win? They were literally MacGyver before MacGyver was MacGyvering as MacGyver. That's a lot of MacGyver. On top of that, the A-team, I just mentioned this, they're such a tightly knit family unit, even with B.A. Remember this, he always got angry at at, at Murdoch. They still realized they were all family. They know how to fight together as a team as well as individually. Again, I've just mentioned this. They know each other and their inside outs, their weaknesses, their strengths, how to you know compensate for everything way better than the boys do. Uh, and on top of that, you got to realize, too, the A-team's going to fight like hell for the safety and well-being for each other member of the A-team. The boys definitely do not have that synergy, that cohesiveness, none of that. The, again, I use that Voltron analogy. It's the best way I can put it together with the A-team, where they're fighting against a great group of individuals. Voltron's coming out on top. Now, to quote Face, he made this great quote about the team. He says, you know, when we're apart, we're just a bunch of social misfits. But when we're together, well... That's something very special. So on top of that, the boys are kind of like a dysfunctional family where it takes forever for them to get on the same page and just to get past grievances and put some of their differences aside. Then there's the A-team van. Let's kind of get down to brass tacks here. Now, unlike Ray's white van that has the words free hug spray painted on it, the A-team's van is a major component to their team. The van, by the way, was a 1983 GMC Vendura. Really awesome van. It was from the 80s, which means it was pretty much indestructible. Keep in mind that each member of the team can drive the van expertly. Uh, expertly with B.A. Baracus, he's clearly the best at driving it no matter what. Now, instead of having like, I don't know, a fridge with food, a you know series of beds or whatever, the van actually had a gun safe in it somewhere that contained an insane arsenal. So it had uh, Colt AR-15, SB-1, semi-automatic rifles, Ruger Mini-14s, AC-556Ks. I guess those are a variant of the Mini-14s. I don't even know what these are. An M60 machine gun. Those things are huge. Micro Uzis, Mac-11, Smith & Wesson Model 5s. I mean, Colt, Lawman, MK3, Smith & Wesson revolvers, high-caliber 19... Like, they had a ton of firearms and ammo in the van, and that van went with them wherever they went. Plus, the team isn't opposed to using the van as a weapon itself, where if need be, they'll drive it through something, and if need be, they will actually drive it through someone. More on that later. Speaking of vehicles, 
Let's not forget the other stylish yet lesser-known A-Team vehicle. I'm talking, of course, about Face's Corvette with the right, red stripe on it. That made an appearance in quite a few episodes. Put Murdoch behind the wheel of that, and the Corvette turns into a high-speed battering ram or missile. That is fun. Now, speaking of crazy, I discovered that it just wasn't B.A. who had super strength. Look, B.A. is definitely the most powerful member of the A-Team, right? No doubt. However, I made a really insane discovery watching the A-Team for way too many hours this week. I over-prepared, and you can tell. Ray, do you remember the classic Who Would Win episode of Scooby-Doo versus Michael Myers? It haunts my nightmares, James. I know, it is that good. Now, listen, after watching hours of footage of Scooby-Doo, I correctly ascertained the obvious, which is that Scooby-Doo could actually warp reality. So none of the A-Team can warp reality, as far as I can tell. But hear me out. The other thing I discovered was pretty crazy. If you go back and watch the A-Team, when they're shooting guns of all types, machine guns, shotguns, whatever, their form is horrible. Horrible. Now, how can well-trained Green Berets have such horrible form while shooting a shotgun, you know, pointing the gun outside their arms or using one hand to shoot whatever it is? And how could they have such horrible form yet still be highly accurate? Remember, there was one episode of the A-Team where Hannibal takes aim at a car moving at high speeds away from them and decides to shoot out the tires to make the car flip unexpect, you know, unexpectedly three times over and land hard on its, on its top. If he can do that, why is everyone, you know, they're still good marksmen. How are they still shooting with firearms? That's because they have super strength. How do I know this? I've shot a lot of guns in my life. I respect guns, fire use, firearms usage, good training, using them responsibly, all the things the A-team never had or really did. And what they're doing with their firearms, the way they're holding guns literally upside down. How do you hold a machine gun upside down over your head and still fire accurately at the feet of all the villains to make them run away? It's because they have super strength. That's the only thing that makes sense to me on how they can handle firearms that well. Look, put everything together, their cohesiveness, their synergy, their van, the Arm, the armory that they have in their van and the fact that most likely they have super strength, which is the only explanation for why Face at 170 pounds can hold two shotguns upside down behind his back, flying upside down, shooting villains with a lot of accuracy. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. I just think the boys aren't ready for everything the A-team brings to this fight. That's my point number two. Very interesting. Now, a couple of things I want to mention right here is, you know, you talk about this van full of weapons, and I don't know that that's necessarily the place they want to hole up against a team known for using block after block of C4. I'll just say plastic explosives against armed uh, uh, munition vans tend to end very poorly for the armed munition vans, especially if you're inside getting your stuff together. So I don't know if the van is going to be as, as powerful in this battle as you want it to be. But the, another story that I found out about the A-Team, and since you talked about Mr. T in the cartoon, I think it's fair to keep Mr. T on the table a little bit. And that's to say that in season four of the A-Team, Mr. T quit the show. They were filming on a cruise ship. He'd had enough for whatever reason, had other stuff going on. He quit the A-Team, got helicoptered off the cruise ship, and had to be talked into coming back. Now, if Mr. T doesn't have the teamwork and, 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 and loyalty necessary to keep filming a TV show he's already on while out at sea... How do we know he's not going to give up just as easily on his team in the middle of a fight with the boys? That's all I have to say about that. Look, if you were getting paid as poorly as Mr. T was, because you should be making, what, $100 million per episode or something like that. At least, minimum. You would have been doing the same thing. But he did come back to the show. And you're right. That was, say, one occurrence. How many times, Ray Decanus, 
Did the boys have internal struggles, strife, if you will, where one of them had to go off or two of them were against Butcher? That seemed to be like a daily or a, an episodic kind of theme, which, by the way, was really entertaining. I'm not putting him down for that. It was really fun to watch. Just a factor. With all that being said, Phil, we're now at the turning point. You've heard two points from Ray. You've heard two points from me. Now you got to tell us who you think is ahead in this battle and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? I, I'm going to have to punch holes through a lot of what was said. First of all, I still don't buy this whole Mr. T as B.A. Brackus and what happens on other shows as personal life for him. I think it's okay for him to just be him. So I'm, I'm going to put that aside for now. Ray, in terms of the they don't fight humans, they don't fight gods, I have to quote the great philosophers, the mighty, mighty boss tones. Uh, I'm not a coward. I've just never been tested. I like to think that if I was, I would pass, right? I've never seen the A-team fight gods. I would like to think they would do pretty good. And I do think that the A-team had something supernatural, especially the point of the van being something supernatural. I remember the amount of havoc the van got into. It felt like it was mm -hmm. bulletproof. It felt like the, the shocks were really good. The axles were unsnappable and the tires were indestructible. That with the gun safe. Yeah, I get it. They would probably, the boys would have C4 on them or inside of their van if we're going van versus van. But I don't think that the A-team would hold up in the van. I think they'd go in the gun safe. They'd be able to get their weaponry and then they would be able to hold up behind it where they would be able to fend them off. I think because of that, I'm going to have to start giving that little bit of advantage to the A-team. However, I still view it as wildly close because I think skill for skill, they're very, very, very similar. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Phil, I got to tell you, I love your explanations for things because you just, you make me want to see this fight actually happen <laughs> on a TV show or film format. Amazon, I hope you're listening. Netflix, whatever, wherever it is, I want to see this. All right. Ray Sicanis. It's time for point number three. This is the knockout blow. Do you have it? Or have I got something up my sleeves? Let's see it. Go ahead and hit us with your point number three. You're ahead right now. You use the van. Not happy about that. So my point number three is going out the window, and I've got a replacement point number three right here. I want to talk about the fifth member of the boys, Kimiko. Kimiko what? is an enhanced compound V test subject who has superpowers, who fights with the boys all the time and would be the X factor to defeat the A-team in this battle. Let me tell you a little bit about Kimiko. She has super strength. We've seen her literally get behind a guy, put her hands on his face and tear his face off and then straight up murder other people. She has a super strength. She can punch through human beings. We've seen her do this multiple occasions. She punches through heads. She punches through torsos and she doesn't just punch once. She punches like 39 times to make well ensure that that opponent is dead. But she also has a very important healing factor. She has a healing factor very much akin to a Wolverine type character. I think you could talk about uh, uh, her in regards as a Weapon X type of a character if you're familiar with that Marvel storyline. Now she's been shot many times and she barely even flinched. She just kept walking forward and then aforementioned punched and snapped necks and just destroyed every single person who was shooting her and then healed up immediately afterwards. She fought that character Black Noir who is a master. I, I, he seems like a ninja to me, but he's a master combatant who utilizes super strength, speed, and everything else. And she did not defeat Black Noir. I want to be very clear about that. He is on a level that she is not ready to compete with.
compete with. But he absolutely crippled, maimed, tore her insides open, and destroyed her 10 ways to Sunday. But that healing factor allowed her to get up before two minutes was even over. She got right up and was able to get away from being grievously wounded by the super powerful black noir character. And she even was able to hang with him for a while before inevitably his superpowers became too much for her. Hey, at one point, the very fast character A-Train put her over his back and was running with her down, I believe, a subway tunnel. Well, she had the wherewithal, the presence of mind, the speed, and the strength to reach over and claw his face while he was moving at flash-level speeds. That means that she could absolutely move fast enough to get it done, and she's strong enough to tear him up. Heck, she once hit him in the leg with a tire iron from behind, which literally left exposed bone out of his leg, and he had to go and heal from that himself, and he was never quite the same superhero after getting his leg punched into two by who? By Kimiko, the fifth member of the boys. And heck, she fought against a character with telekinesis. She tried to jump at him. And this he was very close, personal, either a family member or a personal friend. Very, very close though. They, they, they grew up together. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Again, maybe I should write some stuff down. Who cares? He used his telekinesis and flung her into, I believe it was the third story of an apartment building through the wall. And before he could even really turn and get away, she had jumped back and was back down fighting again against him. His name was Kenji, by the way. I, really, I did write that down. What a great job I am. The whole <laughs> point in all of this is the fact that the boys, unlike the A-team, have a legit, top-notch, super-powered character who was able to beat a character called Stormfront, who, again, was a Superman, a Homelander equivalent type of character. She was able to take a lightning attack straight from Stormfront, get up and keep fighting. Stormfront snapped her neck in two. She got up and was able to keep fighting afterwards. You cannot put down Kimiko and keep her down. So at the end of the day, the boys in A-Team are going to be going at it. And that special fifth member of the boys, Kimiko, is going to be laying waste to the van, to the chains, to the face, to the Hannibal, to the whole deal. And Kimiko is going to be the X Factor, the weapon X Factor, that puts this over the top. And that's my point number three. Really, Ray? Really? Absolutely. All right, Ray, unexpected, but well played. Okay, here's the thing with Kimiko, and I can't really put her down, but what I can do is talk about a few things. First of all, the more damage she takes, the longer it takes for her to heal with her healing factor. We have seen her take so much superhuman damage that it's taken more than two minutes to get back into a fight. Do I think the A-team can deliver that? Yes, if they go hardcore with that. I'll mention that more in my point number three. Uh, you mentioned how Kimiko took on Stormfront. Stormfront Stormfront is that, for those who don't remember, super powerful uh, Superman-level character who is also a neo-Nazi. Hey, fun fact. And it was Kimiko, Queen Maeve, and I believe one other uh, character. She was super strong as well. And all three of them together had to take uh, you know that uh, character out. So she's great. She can play on a team, but she's very often unreliable because they don't already know what always know what she's going to do. Uh, Frenchie takes a lot of time to try to connect with her and does a little bit at the end of season two of the boys, but still isn't really there. She's still on her own. Who knows if she's actually getting this battle? And I believe she's Japanese, which means who knows a Murdoch who speaks Japanese can start talking to her and actually getting through to her. No one else really can on the show that way. All right. 
With that being said, let me see if I got something to kind of mention, you know, counter all this with my point number three, where I'm going to talk about skill, motivation, and how I think this fight's really going to go. So let's talk about the skill of the A-team. Sure, you know, Ray, you brought this up. They didn't kill a whole lot of people in the series, and not a lot of people got shot. But did you ever ask yourself why? It's funny, I was talking to some people about this, and a lot of people said, well, yeah, it's a family-friendly network television show, so they couldn't show that kind of violence. You know, other people said, oh, they're just not good shots, Ray. I think you mentioned something like that. But that can't be true because, again, I already mentioned Hannibal was able to shoot out a tire of a moving car that was speeding away from him. In fact, they all have examples of sharpshooting done really, really successfully. So how do you balance that out? They didn't shoot a lot of people. They didn't kill a lot of people. But they could shoot out tires of cars moving really fast away and be sharpshooters. And here's the thing. It's because the A-team is so skilled that they purposely didn't want to shoot at anyone. They purposely missed. Hear me out on this. Why? Because they were already outlaws and fugitives on the run from the government, right? We all saw that. What would happen if they started killing people? Remember, they were always cognizant about how they were viewed by the authorities, by the government, by what have you. And they knew, hey, if we kill someone or something like that, we're now going to have even more of the government trying to come at us. We'll never have our lives back. They were like, we want to help people. We got to do it the right way. And that's what they did. So if they would have killed people, things just would have gotten way worse. They knew it. So instead of killing people, they literally shot around them to make them run away. Something only the most skilled of marksmen can do. Listen, we've seen this a million times. People shooting at people's feet. People shooting off. You know, someone comes out with a gun. Then the other person shoots the gun out of their hand and says, that's your warning. And the fight is over. That's what the A-team all of the four members could do. That's why they didn't have to kill a lot of people because they just didn't want to. Now, let's talk about motivation. The question you got to ask yourself is just how motivated will the boys be to fight in this who would win matchup? Also ask yourself this. Do the boys' main opponents of, like, say, the Homelander, his group, the court machine behind them decided to stop fighting and said, okay, we give up, you win. What would the boys do? They would also stop and go about their normal lives as normal as the butcher's life could be or what have you. But what about the A-team? What would they do if all of a sudden they weren't on the run from the government anymore? What would they would they settle down, go their separate ways, try to have a normal life? Oh no, 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 no. They would not. And how do you know that I know? I'll tell you how. Here's how because it was clearly stated in the last scene of the last episode of the A-Team series. So this episode found the team. It was a very stereotypical 1980s thing. They were helping protect a woman from Russians looking to acquire a briefcase holding top secret documents from her. In the end, they saved the day with, of course, the aid of elderly residents from a retirement home because that's the 80s. And the A-team decides to walk away from the military and strike out on their own privately. At this point in the series, they were working with the military. They're like, hey, we'll work with you. And now we're like, hey, screw that. We're going to do our own thing. So faced with the possibility of choosing to live normal lives, Hannibal instead states his plan, which is for them to continue doing what they do best, helping the innocent and punching out bad guys. That's what he said. They all wholeheartedly agreed. And then B.A. says, got it. I'll go grab the van. And the adventures continued. Hopefully they did. So the boys got together through extreme circumstances. We saw that they had to take on an imposing enemy. But once that enemy is defeated, the boys get their lives back. Whereas the A-team was a close-knit team that got put through in extreme circumstances. And the A-team just won't stop when the bad guys are defeated because they know there are more bad guys out there. They are way more motivated to fight to get the job done because this is what they are. This is what they do. Whereas the boys have a noble endeavor ahead of them, no doubt, but once it's done, they're like, cool, we're done. We're not going to go out looking for more villains to take on. It's one and done for the boys. So here's how I see this battle taking you know, taking place. The two teams face off. Hannibal and Butcher start talking to each other. All of a sudden, gut shots ring out. 
Kam- Kam- Kamiko, I think is her name. Kamiko? Kamiko, Kamiko starts doing her magic, like just Wolverining everyone. And the only thing that's going to take her out is an insane Murdoch who drives Face's Corvette right into her and slams the car on top of her. Kamiko gets hurt. She heals up, but she's now got a full-size Corvette on top of her. She then kind of punches through the Corvette and kills Murdoch. One and one, they're both out of the fight. All right. Now, Face and Frenchie, I think they're going to take each other out. Don't ask me why. I just feel that's a thing. And then you've got Huey and Mother's Milk who are taking on B.A. and Hannibal. Hannibal and Mother's Milk kind of take each other. They're both the tacticians. I see them evening out. And then it's B.A. versus Butcher, right? And Huey. Huey runs at him. Of course, B.A., you know, can take out someone with one punch. Boom. Huey's out, one and done. Then Butcher comes at him. Starts punching him like nonstop. Trying to punch him. And all of a sudden, he realizes nothing's working. He puts his hands up. He realizes he made a big mistake. And Butcher's like, time to run away and fight another day because that's what the Butcher does. He takes off. At the end of the day, after an insanely hard-fought battle where the A-team finally takes off the kid gloves and says, you know what? It's time to shoot these you-know-whats. B.A. Baraxis is the one that will be left standing, giving the A-team the win. That's my point number three. Wow, a whole lot of words signifying a whole lot of nothing. Uh, at the end of the day, your motivations for the boys are ridiculous. Uh, maybe Mother's Milk goes back to his family. The other ones wouldn't know what to do with themselves, and they would find anybody and any excuse to keep in a battle or be mercenaries or go do something else. These are not well people. They need a target in front of them to go attack. Now, what would uh, The other thing is, uh, the A-team purposely miss. Yeah, the A-team purposefully misses all their shots the same way I purposefully miss all those basketball shots I took in high school. Oh no, I don't want to make the other kids look bad, so I'm going to intentionally miss every free throw I took in my intramural activities. The point I'm trying to make is, no, I don't think so. And how is purposefully missing James going to work against a super-powered character like Kimiko, who's completely a member of the boys? If you purposefully miss somebody like that, she will purposefully murder you one and a half seconds later. At the end of the day, none of this is even close. Kimiko herself is going to mop the floor with all four members of the A-team and do it in this wonderful melange of martial arts moves, ultra violence, (laughs) claws, tearing faces, breaking necks, and the rest of the team just has to blow up the van and they have enough C4 from Frenchie to do so the whole end of the day. The A-team can't stand up to super-powered individuals. Kimiko is too much. I've got this one. Let's get this month back on track. Uh, I don't know about this one, Ray. We'll see. Phil, you've heard three points from Ray. You've heard three points from me. Now it's time for you to give us your decision. Take us through a process. Take us on a journey, if you will, and tell us who wins this matchup between the A-team and the boys. Before I get to my decision, I just have to say I'm mad at both of you, and this is why. We started this entire battle with Ray saying, I am going with the four guys. Kemiko is not part of the boys. Then Ray brings it up magically. Kemiko is part of the boys in point three. And James, disappointingly, you rolled over and showed your belly and said, this is, you accepted Kemiko without any protest as being part of I have to ask, between you guys, is Kimiko part of the boys or is Kimiko not part of the boys? Well, what I would say right now is if you look behind me, it's the classic shot from the TV show, the stage shot of the boys. And I'm going to move aside so you can look at it. You see there's Billy Butcher, and then there's Frenchie, Mother's Milk, Huey's hidden by my microphone, and who's this fifth person, also sort of hidden by the microphone? That's Kimiko! 
That's Kimiko. She's on the poster. She's a member of the crew starting at episode four of season one and continuing all the way through the end of season two. Do you want the real answer, Phil? Yeah, I want the I want the real deal. Yes. Okay, here's the deal. You can't protest this because in the comic book series, Kamiko is actually part of the group. And when they are being hunted down, they hunt down her as part of the group. Whether the group says she is part of it or not, to the Homelander and everyone else, she is part of the group. She is part of the the entity that is the boys. And then that and- carries over within the live action series. Here's the deal. I would have pulled, I wouldn't have said I'm not going to use her at the beginning point, but I definitely would have used her within one of my three points because she is that fantastic. I'm not churning over and allowing it. I'm just saying it's kind of part of the continuity. I think it's got to be part of the decision here. Uh, I, you know, I don't appreciate the flip flop, but I will appreciate the rules of it. I will say Kamiko is part of it. We now have a five on four battle. So here's how the whole thing would go down. I imagine the neutral area, as with so many of them, is city streets. That seems to be a a cohesive theme between both of them. Van on van. I do think both vans are acceptable as a means of conveyance because that's how they get everywhere. Um, However, one van full of the boys and Kumiko is one of them. One is full of the A-team. Immediately, they know that each other is trouble, which they both have very good senses about. So they step out of the van and they know something's going down. They're like, what, 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 what? They just know, right? Because the A-team especially has that preternatural sense of like, oh, I'm in this town. There's stuff going down. I'm going after it. And the boys are just like, he looked at me funny, you know? So I imagine that the fighting would probably commence without a lot of conversation. I imagine Kamiko would stay back a little bit because she's doing a lot of assessing situations until she's ready to be thrown in. It's only like once the threat comes to her and she's very, very unpredictable. So the way I imagine it initially is guns out, funds out. They both go and they grab for their weaponry. The the A-team van gets their weapon safe open. The boys generally have weapons on them and they immediately start firing back and forth. At this point, I think at least one of the boys has to be taken out because their van feels a little floppier than the A-team van. I won't say which one of them was taken out, but I think that one of the boys would probably take enough damage to just get, ah, ah. I'll put it at a four-on-four at this point, right? this point, Kamiko's starting to get activated a little bit. They're like, what are you doing? Come on! But, you know, there's gunfire going on. I don't think she's going to jump right in the middle of it. But here's the thing. I know that B.A. Baracus eventually would be like, that's it. I'm going to go settle this. He steps out from behind the van. Of course, everybody's firing wildly. The A-team is firing at the feet. The boys are firing for the skull, right? B.A. comes out, and of course, nothing's going to hit him because he's able to just going across if something does ping 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 off of his necklace i imagine that's reasonably bulletproof i'll consider that part of canon but that's when kumiko goes oh there's a real threat going on here at that point you've got the a team again i think their military stuff is a wash so let's all just say that the that the three on three over there end up generally shooting each other through the course of it. I'm not going to get into details. You know that's probably going to happen. I don't think the A-team will shoot at the feet forever. This is really a fight between Kumiko 
and B.A. Baracus, and I felt like a lot of the points were building to that anyways. I know for a fact what B.A. is going to do first. He's going to grab her. He is a thrower, right? I don't think he's going to start with a punch right away. Because Kimiko's still a lady, and the 80s still had a little bit of manners about this thing, right? Tarantino wasn't a director yet. There was still a little (laughs) bit of manners. He'd be a thrower, right? So I imagine the first thing he'd do is grab her, use his superhero strength, throw her. What do you think Kamiko's going to do to that? Land on her feet. That's going to do nothing for her. She is way too agile, way too nimble. At this point, though, she keeps ramping up the more she feels like she's in a threat. She runs over to her guns blazing quite literally, right? Shooting, firing, trying to squash of heads. I imagine B.A. is going to be able to take a lot of damage. I don't think I've ever seen him say, ow, or ouch. I don't think Mr. T would allow it. We put that aside because the actor is not the character, right? So immediately, punch, punch, punch. Can't stop it. I don't think B.A. is doing it. He's just continually trying to throw her away. I think eventually he tries to throw in some punches, but they're probably kindlier than they should be. I think eventually we get to a point where B.A. has to throw his big game-ending punch. However, there's one thing we didn't talk about B.A. in relationship to Kamiko. He is kind of lumbering and slow. And she is very fast and wild. I imagine he would not be able to land one of his thrashing punches. And she would have a Mortal Kombat style fatality where she rips her hand up his butthole or reaches down his throat and pulls out his spine or grabs both sides of his jaw and pulls up. Garth Ennis would think of something. I gotta give this one to Kamiko being the only the boy alive. I think that the boys win this fight. Wow. In a shower after that. Wow. That was speaking blood. of an emotional journey. That that may have been the most most amazingly described and well-received decision by the loser, me by the way, of all time in the history of who would win. That was genius. I absolutely need to see this as a thing <laughs> on Amazon sometime soon. Phil, I don't know why I've never been this excited after losing a battle. Well played, good sir. Thank you. Well, now that the multiverse is so much in everybody's mind and there's fan fiction being made by Marvel, this might be seen by the world someday. Well, you know what's interesting? Stephen J. Cannell, right, the create one of the creators, he also created Battlestar Galactica, right, in the late 70s, and Knight Rider. So you could almost connect, you know, Spider-Man No Way From Home style, Knight Rider, A-Team, and Battlestar Galactica. Like, how awesome would that be? What a cinematic universe that would be. More cinematic universes, please. Let's all agree to this. James, you didn't even bring up the fun fact of the A-Team, which is the fact that Face on the A-Team was Starbuck original on Battlestar Galactica. And in the intro sequence, they have a Cylon actually walking past Face in the intro of the show as an in-gag. That would have been my fun fact. But you know what's a really fun fact? The fact that Mainstream March is still alive, and I've won today, and I will even it next week, and I will win it the week after. There's a fun fact y'all at home can chew on. I didn't listen to any of that. Phil, you were fantastic in today's episode, please come back and entertain the Legion of Audience, all of us. This was just absolutely amazing. I love it when a judge takes the job so seriously and then creates a narrative so engaging, so entertaining that you want to see it come to life. 
Phil, you are one of a kind. Please tell our audience where they can find you and partake in all of the wonderful things you do. The easiest way to find me is just at Phil Ranta. That's P-H-I-L-R-A-N-T-A on all social platforms. Or you can check out Ray and Own Every Word by going to ownevryword.com. Pick up a word and play along at home. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to come back. This is so much fun. You are awesome. And, you know, speaking of awesome, Ray Sicanus, well done today. Uh, a really good strategy of bringing in comical like that. I deserve it. It was No, it was good. It was good. Something I would have done as well. Tell our Legion of Audience where they can find you. Well, you can, of course, find me celebrating hashtag Victory Friday because hashtag Ray is right. I don't know if you know about this, but we have a merch store that you can find by going to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash who would win show, and you can buy your own version of the Ray is right shirt or any one of a number of other Ray themed merchandise products. And after today, don't you want that? Don't you need that? Isn't that what your life revolves around? I'd like to read a five-star review that we just recently got here. This is from RJM074. Five stars, amazing, multiple exclamation points. This podcast is absolutely amazing. You already said that. And it's so, so good, all caps. Listening to you guys debate is hilarious, and me and my brothers enjoy listening to every moment of this podcast. Now, here's the reason I wanted to read it. Just wanted to say that Ray is the best part of the entire podcast. Ray, you are amazing. Also, I'd like to recommend a few matchups that I would love to see you guys do. Oops, I'm out of time. My point is, I am great. Everyone, of course, you know this to be true. If you thought I was going to go down with a whimper in Mainstream March Presents, the 1980s versus everybody, you just don't know who I am. You can find me on Twitter at Almighty Ray. Get ready for more dominance next week as I will do what it takes to make sure that I'm the one in the winner's circle and James is the one eating soft serve ice cream in the corner in the hot sun. That actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, you know what? That could have been worse for you, honestly. Yeah, that's uh, that doesn't sound too bad. Although, although this was a fun battle, Ray, and this could have gone either way. You had a great strategy, but... um. As crazy as I went today, we're talking about the 80s where craziness thrived. Expect shenanigans next week. That's all I'm going to say about that. From you, I always expect shenanigans. That's fair. You should. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavsey. Remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and to be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Canis, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, gotta prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You gotta sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast recs and booty debates, 
Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found.